Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Greg, and welcome once again to another Rip Roaring Reds podcast. Uh, I've already said my name is Greg, uh, and this is a Sunday morning after what can be called another monstrous victory for the Arsenal. I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Jace. Good morning. Happy, happy morning. Uh, it is a happy morning. Um, it feels like forever since we've been uh, together, so I'm so glad to get the band back together. Unfortunately, yesterday... Jason went to the game. I didn't. So we're going to have a little bit of maybe different perspectives. Tell me firstly, before we get into it, Jace, what was the atmosphere like at the ground yesterday? Hot, hot. It was very, there was a lot of emphasis um, through the tannoy, through the the pre-match kind of pre build-up from the speakers that you have in the ground telling you to bring the noise. Um, the music pumped in was definitely trying to encourage that. In fact, I think the music was the loudest that it has ever been. They did the light show. Mikhail was pumped as well. The amount of times I sat just to the left of Mikhail, really close, and um, the you get to see yesterday. I saw his his passion up 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 close, passion. and he he was pumped. He was he was he was telling us he was turning around to us and, and giving it some, and we were giving it back, um, which is a really good atmosphere. Um, and and the and, and the club asked for it. I think that was needed after the Porto result. Um, we need to keep the momentum in the league. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a great, it's just lovely to be in the ground when it's that kind of atmosphere. It, it's an energy uh, that, you know, we saw last season that we vibe off and, and, it, and the team vibe off it as well. Um, and from the first minute, especially the first, like it, obviously naturally you can't, it's very hard for the crowd to keep going all game. But uh, like the first 25, 30 minutes, I mean, it was it was brilliant. And I think the the way we started the game and, and the goals that we got, I think the crowd contributed to. So, yeah, great atmosphere, great atmosphere. You wet my appetite, man. I was dead I, I'm a bit frustrated now. Um, but I've, I seem to have a bit of luck with me at the moment. The games I either can't watch in live in person or are in a different country for, we seem to score four-plus goals. Uh, so maybe I should obviously go away and piss off more often. Um, we'll have to see. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over the music because I, I just want to get into it basically. So I'm gonna kick us off with a written review. I'm gonna hand over to you, Jace. I want you to talk to me. How are you feeling? What's the vibe? Where are you taking your written review this week? I mean, I, I'm kind of ignoring the Champions League defeat first of all, right? Um, I think we played for a draw, um, won the goal. Things happen. I think consistently when they come back to our our, our house, uh, we're going to be at the level we always are, and I think that we will be. I, I'm not worried about that that one goal. I think let's look at the league performance. We've we've gone a level since Dubai. We've gone a level, um, and I think that what Arteta has been trying to do the whole time. And we've been saying, is this what he's trying to do? And I think now, like, the gear is in, right? That sixth gear, we're in it. We're in that sixth gear now. We're out of fifth, or well, we're in fourth, maybe, for the first half of the season. And then we've gone fifth straight into sixth. Uh, we're banging goals left, right, and centre. The break was well needed. We're, you know, that lack of striker, we're not really questioning that because we're scoring from all over the shop. We got defenders are acting like star strikers, scoring every game. Um, I just think we've gone the level, and now we're in it for the running. We're in it for the running. I think, you know, every game we're starting with energy, aggression, all the things that Mikel says are there. Um, I'm just so delighted to see it. We had that big worry, right, that we were not going to see this Arsenal this year, and uh, since Dubai, since that break in Jan. We've come out firing and um, it's just about maintaining it now for the end of the season. I think it's it's purposely making sure none of our players are in the red zone and we've got players coming back as well. So, yeah, I'm just really happy. Great performance and uh, let's keep doing it. A, a positive Jason, which I, I don't know, maybe maybe I, I did obviously listen to uh, your West Ham and that, you know, can't, can't not be positive off the back of a 6-0 victory. It's great. I'd love to hear I actually adore it. So, are we winning the league, Rev? Um, I don't know if we're winning the league, right? So, my, my written review is going to be, like, we're in a proper, 
this is a proper title race. And although it's not going to hit maybe the the points tallies of of, of certain seasons uh, previously, like Liverpool, Man City, this is a proper a proper title race. And like no one is dropping points at this moment in time. There's going to be sting in the tail. There's going to be twists. There's going to be turns. But no one at this moment can slip up. And I'm, you know. I've got scar tissue, a lot of Arsenal baggage with me mm-hmm. over the past 15 to 20 years of seeing us underperform, seeing us falter. You know, that Porto game, I know you're you're saying you're kind of ignoring it. I, I kind of feel a bit of that, that scar tissue returning from that because it does fill me with dread a little bit. But then we come into this game and absolutely obliterated Newcastle in that first half. It's probably one of the best halves of football I've seen us play. And I think my my point to make here would be there are it's either ninety two or ninety six. There's, there's there's ninety something teams across the English footballing leagues, right? And only one of those teams is going to win the league, and it may not be us. So not everyone's going to win it. But I'm I'm so here for the ride. You know, last season me and you were in a lot of games last season where we talked about you talked about vibes. Um, was electric. Was incredible. Was was the atmosphere, the camaraderie. Um, you know, just just turning around to people and jumping for joy when we were scoring goals. I think that was like me and you in the last game that we went to together in person. It's just such a, a difference maker and it's such a, a, a difference to what we used to go to, right? Me and you have been going to Arsenal for many years and I'm just here for it. It's such an enjoyable, fantastic experience to see Arsenal competing at this level again. And I'd love us to win the league. I'd love us to win the Champions League. But if it doesn't happen... Um, yes, I'll be annoyed, but I'm not going to be upset about it because I know this sounds really corny, but we're, we're here for the journey, right? Sometimes the destination is not always the result. And this has been such an incredible season so far, as a, as was last year. And I'm just excited to see where it goes. But it's a proper title race. It's going to get heated. It's going to get interesting. We're going to talk a little bit in the parking lot later about the run-in to see where and what things could and could not happen to maybe take us there. So let's talk about that. But um, paint me excited. Put it that way. Nice, nice. I think we all are. I think we all are. So, yeah, see what a lot of time to be an Arsenal bring. fan, right? That's what. Yeah. Like, you know, we've had a lot of um, <laughs> we were a banter club for many, many years, and I'm hoping that that has now transferred over to potentially Manchester United. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> uh, right. The first uh, topic of conversation I want to get. Uh, well, we've kind of touched upon it a little bit, but it's pressure. The topic is called pressure. And we walked into this game under what I would say an enormity of it. And I want you mm. to kind of talk to me how you feel about that, Jace. I I think we we are tackling pressure with a go get it attitude. Go come out the blocks, hit them hard. Because that's what I saw again. A last all the last few Premier League games. That's that's what I've seen. I think Porto is. I mean, even the first half it went too bad, but it was a bit of a not. Uh, it was a bit of an odd one in comparison with the Premier League games. In the Premier League games, we are out the blocks fast. The first 20, 25 minutes, increasing intensity, intensity pressure that we are putting on them, and I feel like that is how we are. We are trying to move the needle, move the dial. It's how we're trying to tackle the pressure. It's by almost transferring that pressure onto the opposition. That makes sense. If you, I also think it's really clever of what Mikel has done. Um, last year, the first 25, 30 minutes was that intensity we used to chuck at teams, absolutely chuck it and bucket those at teams. And if some teams could ride it out. I'm thinking of the Newcastle game at home last year, it was incredibly frustrating. Um, when they just shot, we were there shot, for that yeah. one, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Yeah. Big con- contrast to what we saw against Newcastle this season. Um, so when you think about that and 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 the way that we we set ourselves up, I feel like Mikel has I, there's so much intelligence now to to what he is doing, analyzing what he did at the beginning of the season. It was a different kind of Arsenal. We did we talked about having to be clinical bit more of slower a slower pace a bit more of a it wasn't fatigue but it was very lackadaisical at times still attacking football but just not not what we were used to not what we were yearning for and I feel like now reflecting on it it was intentional 
it was like a slight different style intentionally to trick teams to put them into a false sense of the arsenal that you are going to get um it was enough to win games and get points and have us in it for march february march time because we always said at the beginning of the season you need to be in it in february march and if you're in it in february march then it's all to play for well we're in it in february march and now it's all to play for but the difference is we have got plenty of gas in the tank we've had a nice break we've played uh, a less aggressive intense style of football to get us to where we're at and now the intensity is just going up and up and up because we've got more gas in the tank and i feel like this is Mikel being as i said intelligent with regards to making the opposition think about how we play and what to expect from us um so much that in the first half of the season they weren't expecting the kind of arsenal so last year it was a kind of very different astute and he's taken the best elements of that particularly our defensive security but now we're piling on the aggression the intensity the fast-paced fluidity fluidity of uh of our attacking play and you know no one's questioning the absence of the of the central striker right we're getting goals from everywhere and i just feel like like it's it's our time it feels the last three well, four games now liverpool west ham burnley newcastle all three plus goals only conceded two so what's that that's three i, I can't count how many goals that is there's a lot of goals it's like what must be best bit of 18 19 goals something like that mm-hmm. scored so played four scored like 18 19 or something like that and conceded two and even the newcastle goal last night was so frustrating in fact even the goal conceded against liverpool was frustrating um in the grand scheme of things um both sloppy goals to concede so yeah we are we that's what that's what i'm feeling about the title race and we're in it um how we're dealing with the pressure yep i think the way we're dealing with pressures we're putting it back on the other team i think there's a mindset change and it's clear very apparent Agree, disagree. Uh, no, I, I, no, I see what you're saying. I, I agree that the um, the elements of uh, Arteta's approach to how we've set up this team first and second half of the season are quite different. I think a lot of the points that you've made there, particularly about like the striker, yeah, you're right. No one's mentioned it. We we were a team that couldn't score in open play, and now we're scoring for fun. And we've we've scored 18 different scorers across our squad. It's the best in the league. We have the best goal difference in the league. It's incredible to think what a turnaround. I don't know if most of that came off the back of um, the Adidas Predators new advert. I'm sure that's when we started free scoring again. Maybe it's something to do with the boots. Um, who knows? Boot look nice. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, but like. I just feel that we've approached like I, I really liked your point about you know maybe we've taken that pressure absorbed it and moved it on to somebody else and we, we we kind of like use it as a weapon against other teams because we are we are we are under a different type of pressure compared to Liverpool and Man City because well, I don't know I don't know what it is the media hate us other fans hate us um, we seem to just like not get the same kind of even if I just look at the 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 Jurgen Klopp fist pumping. You know, last night is actually quite a controlled Arteta celebration. But there was there was none none of the fist pumping, none of this gene at the crowd. It was a comfortable clap around the ground, and I think that's an, an observation known full well that we are in a in the midst of a difficult title race. And you, you've got Liverpool going to get everything. They're going to get every decision, every plaudit, every media loving over the course of the next three months because. The clock's leaving and he's going to get the victory parade, whether he wins it or not. And the red carpet is going to get rolled out for all the potential that Liverpool can win this league. So, you know, I'm here for us absorbing that pressure and moving on to somebody else and hopefully taking everything out of that that we can. I, I give nothing <laughs> to, to not see a, a sad Jürgen Klopp at the end of the season. To have that taken away from him by us would be amazing. Yeah, so do, here's a question. And do you... Um... There's two things actually. The first thing, just on your point around Arteta, he was aggressive last night. He was loud. There was one point when we were four four nil up, and we clearly didn't play the right ball. I couldn't quite tell because the ball was the other side of the pitch. But Mikel's in front of me, and he turns around to the bench. 
and goes, ah, like that really loud in his Spanish accent. And we were all just chuckling because it was hilarious. Like, it's just, he was loud. He was aggressive. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of, I, you know, as I said, seeing Mikel up close, I love to sit in, in this particular seat that I get to sit in occasionally because um, you get to see Mikel and you get to see uh, Yova. And um, it's just fascinating to watch. Yeah, I would say maybe it was just after after the game. Like, yeah, during the game, he obviously exhibits all the usual. Like, he's never in his technical area. I'm surprised he never gets like more uh, bans or fines from the the FA because he's he's never in it. He's actually almost taking a throw in most of the time. And even when other players are taking throws, he's basically standing right next to them. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's quite funny as well. The third official must just absolutely hate him as well. <laughs> um. I mean, he's on the third official all the time. It's quite funny to yeah. watch. Uh, you mentioned around the kind of that kind of uh, Liverpool as well and and their form. Side side note, they they're in the cup final today, right against Chelsea. Yep. Do you think a Liverpool win spurns on their title charge, like like a League Cup victory for Man City used to, or do you think? Um, it just doesn't do anything, or do you think that Chelsea are going to beat them anyway? Yes, yeah, so I mean Chelsea are bad. You and and similar to previous years of Arsenal, you don't know what which one of them is going to turn up, which Chelsea team is going to turn up, and you. I would say it matters, and only on the basis that just for like we talked about, that's like pressure. The pressure will build. If you can't beat Chelsea in a final, what does that mean for the rest of your season? Because every game post here on in is a cup final to us three teams at the moment. You have to win every single one of those games. And so yeah. it will put some creeping doubt in their minds if they can't put away a, a relatively poor Chelsea side. So I, I, I think it matters. And I, I've got to hope that Chelsea can at least put in a performance like they did against Man City. Okay. You think the same? Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for, to be perfectly honest, is the Chelsea. Oh, actually, a Chelsea kind of performance like they put in against Arsenal when we drew two all. We were awful that game. And we managed to somehow True. Get two yeah, true. So, so that's the kind of performance I want to see from them. And I think on their day, Chelsea can beat them. Um, speaking of you, are talking about laughing stocks. Like Chelsea, maybe they're the banter London team at the moment, if out of any of them. They're, they are. They are, but I've never really... I don't know what it is about Chelsea. There's just something about, like... I've never liked their fans. I've never liked their club. Like Man United, I've always had maybe a bit of like, because they have, their football heritage is, they have a heritage. They have an association with the Premier League. You know what I mean? They are, they're a big, big, big club. Probably the biggest club in the world. And it's just, Chelsea is just not. (laughs) I'm I'm very cautious to say it, but I hate Chelsea. I hate them more than I hate Spurs. There's something about that club I just do not like. I think whenever we got on the, remember we got on the tube to, on the overground to, to Wembley, and because we come from, from West London side, we were basically on a, a, a train full of just Chelsea fans, and you know you just spot say, a Chelsea fan, right? You can always yeah. just spot one. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, unfortunately they're they're not the well, no, they're not. They're they're, they're pretty rude and ugly fans in my opinion. <laughs> And, yeah. uh, well, I mean, as we're as we're talking about Chelsea, some people. <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not bucket them all up because there, there's one Chelsea guy that I want to talk about now. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. This, this segment's called by George, and uh, want to obviously talk about Jorginho and talk about this game, but many games maybe. I, you know, you you we talked pre-pod, and you were like, yeah, got points. Want to talk about him? Want to you know? Wax lyrical, give it to me. Like maybe talk about this game, other games like we've we've not talked a little bit about, but he's just dropping performances like nobody's business at the moment. Well, this is the funny thing, right? Chelsea were like, oh, he's no good anymore. Like you can have him. He's not good enough for us. Nah, he was he was he was too good for you. Um, based on how you're performing now, I think you had the wrong managers that didn't know how to use him appropriately. And and Arteta always had a plan. The whole Guardiola and, and Arteta both know that that position in the squad is based on Jorginho. Um, Chelsea wanted, um, sorry, Man City wanted Jorginho before Chelsea managed to get him in that weird deal with, with Sarri. It came from Napoli when they took Sarri as manager. Because City were in for him. City wanted him to be instead of Rodri, right? And and uh, they ended up getting Rodri in the end and, and Chelsea took Jorginho. 
Um, Chelsea thought he was done. He's not done. He's not done. There's a difference, right? He's in his 30s, right? So he has to be careful with his energy. You've got to use that player sensibly. But when he's got energy, when he's when he's when he's fit and when he's not overplayed, you you can still see a nine out of ten, eight, ten, nine point five out of ten performance from this guy. And uh he can just turn up and control a game. I won't be surprised to see him play when we play Man City, if I'm honest. Um, I think him in that midfield would be perfect. Um Thomas Party actually, I don't think, can do things that Jorginho can do. I have to give Jorginho flowers for yesterday's performance. You know, just to call out a few things. Interceptions, uh, perfect timing, perfectly timed interceptions, the controlling the flow of the game. And by doing that, the ability to release Declan to push forward um, into more of the kind of Xhaka-like area that... Um, with habits and 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 sometimes Kivio on the left or Martinelli on the left, like it. Uh, that's why we are seeing this intensity at times go up as well, right? Because we are able to play some of the combination football that we had when we were playing so well beginning of last season by releasing Rice into those positions. So it's winning out, and it's it's perfect. It's it's perfect. Um, so yeah, flat my my flowers. I know you you've got flowers for someone else. My flowers actually were were for Jorginho. I think he is brilliant. Um, fans love him as well. Um, best Chelsea reject we've ever had. How many how, how many Chelsea rejects have we had? Yossi Benayoun rings a bell from one of them. He was Check. bad. Gallus. Bad. Gallus. Gallus was bad. William. Well, William was bad. <laughs> um, uh, centre back. Because they've had that. They probably had. I mean, in the other in the other direction, because they had Fabregas. Yeah. It's good. They've had Cole. Great. Yeah. yeah. They've had it a lot better in reverse. We were due a real good one. Um, like Czech was okay. Um, he wasn't the Czech no, of Chelsea. Not, not on board. Like, he could not, he was past it at that point. It's just the, the, the thing, the biggest thing that used to annoy me about Czech, you could never save a penalty. If you were getting a penalty, you'd be like, right, well, we just we might as well not even yeah. take it. Move on. Yeah, but for me, Jorginho is the best player we ever signed from Chelsea. In, in my lifetime, I can recall. Yeah. I mean, Georgie, yeah, I, I, everything you said, the flowers, all of that, it is, it is there. And I think the, the biggest point you've made, and I, I had it to totally agree with it, it's what it's enabled us to do, what he's unlocked from the rest of the squad playing in that six role and playing a much deeper role and advanced Declan Rice. And there's been so much talk about Declan Rice can't play an advanced position, can't play the forward ball, is not very good in progressing the ball. And it's all nonsense. And you can see it now come into fruition. Like a lot of that left-hand side play, like you said, between Martinelli, between Rice, between Havertz, between Kirior even, like that is all that link-up play is enabled effectively by the fact that Rice can play in a bit more of a forward-thinking, progressive role that he hasn't played when he's playing as the six. And like when we've had maybe Tross or Havertz as the left eight, both of them feel a bit lost in that role. And we've bringing Havertz into the false nine, like we're going to talk about him later. And yeah, my my flowers are maybe for, for a different player, but like all of that, it's not just by it's not just Jorginho. Obviously, the manager has identified that as something we can set up and tactically enable us to do. But Jorginho in that role is he's a safe, he's a safe pair of legs. Um, yeah. he is very controlled, very, very um tempo-driven, uh, and he, he plays such a pass that I always that path he used to be called the octopus, right? And it probably still is if he if he managed to play a game, but I kind of felt like it was. This is maybe how Thomas Partey and Declan Rice would have played if they had played any games together. Like these are the type of passes that Jorginho can just thread the eye of a needle and take out four players. Um, and that's why it's like wrap him in cotton wool, roll him out for the games. I, I wouldn't necessarily say this was a game that potentially needed us to roll him out for, but you're probably not going to need him against Sheffield United. No. You, just need to, you, you need to give him those games, right? Occasionally. Yeah. And like so, I, I find it incredible that you can basically just roll him out for these games. He'll drop a nine, ten out of ten performance, get a man of the match, and then go back on the bench again. You know, there's not many players and, and you know consummate professionals that yeah. can do that job. Smile on their face, dropping those performances, and and do it for the team. And that's that's what he's here to do. 
I'm so happy that he stayed and he didn't go back to Italy. And uh, I really hope we we keep him next year as well. If he doesn't mind being that player, he comes off. He doesn't always play and comes off the bench. He can do that um, once every so often. It's perfect for us. Yep. Um, there's another player that I want to move on to a little bit down that left hand side too, because I we might have somewhat of a not a, dis, a difference of opinion. But obviously, we identify different parts in this game. It's Martinelli. I put down Martinelli redemption because there's a lot of flack that he took for the Porto game for what would have been a, a loose pass, which enabled them to get that goal. And we've seen a Martinelli loose pass before. Liverpool last season was always one that comes back to haunt me. If that ball had been better, how different that season may have been. What do you What do you think of Martinelli's performance in this game down that left hand side? Do you feel it was a, a bit more of a return to the Martinelli of old? Well, it was fun watching him take the piss out of Trippier. That was hilarious. Um, Trippier got some absolute. You were probably closest to this, right? This is down your your side. Yeah, in the second half, it, he he. I didn't see so much. A lot of it was in the first half, right? In the second half, I saw I saw him um, running Trippier ragged. Uh, but yeah, he. So he there's two parts to his game. There's the Martinelli, which is the goal scorer. Which I would say wasn't may be the Martinelli we saw last night. What I saw last night was Martinelli, the creative threat, um, which is the ability to have the interplay. The, the thing for me is he he likes Saka. He he does a lot of the ball comes to him, defender may overlap. He'll then cut in the other way. But unlike Saka, he doesn't always shoot. He then cuts back for the the player running through onto the byline. The other option is he's getting to the byline himself and trying to do the cutback. Um, I, I just saw a lot of energy from him in that side. He, he he pulled a lot of players out of position and that opened up gaps and opportunities in other spaces for us. Um, in fact, the there was a lot of balls that went across to Martinelli. He would do his thing, pull everyone in his direction. He flipped the ball back and then the ball would very quickly transition to the right side and then we'd actually build the attack up that way. But he was pivotal in that. Um, it's that ability to be able to receive, cause problems and then dis, um, basically release the ball in, in such a quick fashion that Newcastle can't, can't keep moving quickly enough, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. to keep up with the flow. Um, yeah, he... I mean, he had a not a great performance, right, against Porto, if we're honest. You know, I think he's the reason we we conceded. Unfortunately, it was a sloppy pass. And so, for me, it was just uh, a solid, solid 7 out of 10, 7.5 out of 10 performance that he needed just to get back on track from, from, from the mistake, put that out of his mind and get back into, into, the, into the fluidness, into the vibes that he needs. And, you know... He was unlucky not to be on the score sheet, maybe. Um, you know, that one header he had, the ball was just a bit too high. He couldn't get it under um, when that when that ball came across from Saka and he headed it well over the bar. But he's getting in the right yeah, place. That would have been some goal. If that goal had gone in, you know, it really did caught, like, Wilshire Norwich vibes for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was... So he, he's... It was a great performance from him and we just now need him. Maybe who we got next? Uh, Sheffield United away. I see him on the score sheet against Sheffield United. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, like the only thing I would, I would have said that when the game started, he did another one of his crossfield passes and it was intercepted again and Newcastle almost broke. And I was kind of like, he's doing it again. And I was worried. And I think he grew into the game. And like you say, we, we talked in the past about his ability to run the byline and get down that channel and get close to the, the, the goal and then overrun it. He always does it. He seems to like he seems like his brain or his legs are working faster than his footballing capacity can maybe manage to keep up with. Um, and he was better at finding that final pass in this game, particularly compared to previous ones. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's just what he needed in order to kick on and bring him back to back to form a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But yeah, I think that uh, the, the point you made about all of the left-hand side build-up to then drag players out of position to build up from the right was was certainly something. A lot of it down that first half was down the left-hand side. And like I said, the, the Rice partnership down there was certainly moving. And, uh, you know, I 
it, what's amazing to see, and I, I don't, we might maybe talk about this later, but I'll bring it out now, is without Zinchenko, which he, he plays a very different game to what Kirill plays. And yep. even both of our both of our wing backs, not wing backs, left back and right back, over the past five years in the game, we've seen an evolution of wing backs and the usage of wing backs in overlapping runs, driving balls into the box, etc. That's not how we've played. This the way that Arsenal set up right now, our left and right back don't really get involved in our attacks very often. Although I did see one time there was a point in this game where Ben White could have had a shot ben. and he just basically wimped out because it was on his left foot. Yeah, did more so. But this is what I'm like, it's just it's just different. It's very weird to see a setup like we're so used to teams like Trent and Robbo for Liverpool set up in such a way that it all comes from their wide players. Yeah, particularly the left and right, and it's not for us. Just interesting. But what is, I suppose, my, my next segment, and maybe this is a bit of a, <laughs> a difference to that opinion. The segment is called Going Overboard. I'm very, very happy with that. I, I deserve um, at least a round of applause, James. <laughs> a very, very good slow <laughs> Um Nicholas Yeover, our set-piece coach, um, deserves deserves plaudits, deserves thanks, because once again, Arsenal are setting ourselves in such a way that we are a an absolute danger. You know, we are Walter White. I am the danger when it comes uh, to set pieces. Talk to me, Jace. What do, you, what do you think about how we're setting up set pieces? Why are they dangerous? Why is it important for us to build up play uh, like this? So I think my first statement, just don't concede a corner to us because you're going to get punished. Um, I didn't check the numbers after last night, but it just goes up every game, like most goals scored from set pieces. The reason that I think that uh, it's causing a bit of madness, it's causing a little bit of carnage for the opposition is is a way in which we're setting up. Um, and I've, I'll call out Gabriel, right, because I observed a few uh, observed a few things from him in uh, in, in, in both, both halves. So you'll see sometimes... He's at the near post. Sometimes he's coming in from the far post. And they're mixing it up each time, um, depending on which end the ball's coming from. But it must cause chaos for the defenders, right? Because if you're trying to if you're trying to defend, if you if you've got a man mark one player, and traditionally you would have X number of centre backs, any of the big players really, you know, through your midfield and, and your strike force and your centre back partnerships. Who are who are seen as an attacking threat from a corner? A lot of the time, it's not you know certain people will pick the whole game a certain person to mark. Um, now, also traditionally, they'll have responsibilities from corners and how they need to position themselves and where they need to attack the ball from, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the thing I'm seeing is that it's not consistent with us. It's like we're mixing it up every time. Um, you can't tell where where Gabriel is going to come in from. Uh, and in, in the first half, we had the header at the near post um, and carry us again. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, how, how is this guy still a Premier League goalkeeper? I do not know. Um, he is absolutely awful. And then in uh, in the second half, I saw him running in from the back post, but the ball still went close to near and Kibio scored again. Again, carry us. Hilarious. Um, couldn't, save a, couldn't save anything. But... Um, yeah, is the is the is the is the kind of madness that we're causing with the positioning. Um, I think they've been taught how to attack the ball, and then um, you combine that with the just unpredictability of where they're going to be coming in from and how they're going to be kind of coming in to attack the ball. And I think it's just causing a bit of a recipe for disasters. Yeah. That's what I saw <laughs> last night. Anyway, Gabriel was particularly someone I focused on in corners. I feel like. Gabriel is our most potent threat from corners. He seems to be just getting goals everywhere. Saliba is pretty strong as well, but Gabriel is the standout, right? He's the one who's getting the goals. I mean, his numbers. I don't. What's his goals numbers this year? Let's have a look. Oh, it's got to be. I, I saw um, a comparison between him and Anthony because <laughs> obviously I think he's got more goals and assists than Anthony this season for sure. Um, oh yeah. What did you think? Well, I'm with, I'm with you. Every everything you said. There's a, there's a term in in engineering called chaos engineering, which is like where you stress test the system by just doing 
random stuff and trying to attack it and try and uh you know bump up the traffic by a hundred times and trying to do random things and that's that chaos that you mentioned is, is kind of our approach it feels like the corner sometimes it's it's really we have a lot of different options and so we're stress testing those different options again different opposition it's come up with different results and it's it's making us extremely unpredictable it's making us also very very dynamic um and you're right gabriel is the the um architect of the well he's not the architect he's the scorer because the architect is declan rice for yeah. me um yep. his dead ball delivery from the corners and set pieces is bar like so this is what i think when we play porto and saka because i think saka takes them from the right and declan takes them from the left i think that's correct yes correct it's probably probably the opposite way around but like when when rice just seems to be more dangerous when taking these corners he seems to be more on the nose of where it needs to be whether it's that front post flick on that back post or d- directly on the keeper, he he knows where to put it and can put it on that spot every single time. And so, like you said, give us a corner at your own peril because you're gonna get you're gonna get punished. I literally took a note. We're 15 minutes into the game, and I was like, "We are. It's all Arsenal. All the traffic. Everything is as smooth as butter coming from us, and we need to capitalize." As soon as I wrote it, that goal went in, and it was like. <laughs> They, they, it's like it was like they just couldn't contain us, and like we were just having. It's not like we were playing for corners because I don't think you really can. But we were getting a lot of corners in that first half, and it was it felt like it was like a, a necessary part of our game because it gives us the confidence that we can score to then score from open play. That that's yeah. what it reads like to me. Do, do you know some something else? I was just it's interesting. You made me look it up right because you said talked about. Uh, Gabriel's stats and comparing to Anthony's. I was just looking at that while we were talking through. So, Gabriel, 38 games last season, three goals. This season, 24 games, four goals. Um, his highest goal scoring season was the two seasons ago, it was five goals. So, he's on track to beat that if we keep. That's incredible doing. numbers for a centre back. Yeah. But ironically, you were talking about Anthony. He had. 25 games last year, four goals, two assists. And this year he's played 20 games, zero goals, zero assists. So um, it's quite interesting. You can compare it to a fellow countryman. Um, what should we play Gabriel inter- as a winger? <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> interestingly, uh, uh, Gabriel has only played like five games in for two years for Brazil. Um which I find absolutely crazy. I mean, we're, uh, we're going like, to talk about it a little bit later, but like he, he for me, there, there has to be a conversation to be had that, that Gabriel is top five centre back in the world at this point in time. Has to be. He's not getting picked for Brazil. I know, I know but it's cr- absolute criminal. And I don't know whether or not it's a managerial thing, a, a relationship thing, whatever it might be, but he is quietly just dropping a, 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 a performance of the season because it, it, Saliba gets all of the the yeah. thanks and the praise uh, because of his age, because of where he's been dropped in. I suppose Gabriel with the fee, every, everything is against him, but he's just quietly dropping immense yeah, performances yeah. on immense performances. He is, um, uh, Saliba is the heir to Van Dyke, right? So, mm-hmm. like, in regards of his stature, his figure, his the presentation, how he plays on the ball, like, you, you can see Virgil in, in, in Willow. So you you know that that's going to be always going to be a comparison, especially with the age he's at and and how many you know yep. Saliba can do ten years at the top, right? Gabriel's a bit older; he's twenty six, but um, solid. Yeah, I, I completely agree with where he's at. He's got to be one of the top five centre backs in the world. But I don't, I just don't understand this decision from Brazil to keep playing. Is it Militao? Um, might have got Marquinhos as well. So they, they've got they've got. A bit of an embarrassment of riches, I suppose. Yeah, they have, but um, they, so, it benefits right. us, right? As long as it's not, as long as it's not having a negative impact on Gabriel's mentality um, and fitness. And fitness. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he doesn't play for Brazil. It probably helps us yeah. in the long run. <clears throat> Agree. Right. I, I mean, I'm I'm opening a florist. Me and you are opening a florist because we've been giving out flowers left, right, and centre. Uh, during this pod, and I'm I'm gonna just you've offered yours to Jorginho. I'm here to offer mine to Kai Havertz. 
we talked about apology letters maybe many months ago about being written and for me this game in particular and I, I just wanted to kind of maybe say my bit and then if you've got any rebuttal Jason you're more than welcome to kind of do so but this was his best performance for me in an Arsenal shirt by not by some distance because he has dropped some but he is really coming into his own and if you look at the conversation that was had at the start of the season about the price tag about the type of you know he was flapping at balls. He was missing opportunities. He just looked devoid of all confidence. And to compare that player to the player that we have now, and I don't know whether or not it's that tactical setup of Jorginho, Rice, etc., that has enabled him as this false nine to play the way that he's been playing. But it has been incredibly astute by Arteta to move him into that role. We've talked about can he play a, a false nine previously. But the things that he's been doing, the, run, the runs off the ball, one fantastic he can just open up space and he creates chaos a little bit he creates opportunity he wins headers like nobody's business like the stats for this game in particular he had a uh, seven ball recoveries in that position best in the team he won four aerial duels best in the team two interceptions better than Jorginho, best in the team uh he got an assist he got a goal it was a, a complete all-round performance by kai havertz and he and he does it with such a, we've talked about maybe his lackadaisical nature. Like he always feels like he's not running at full tilt. That's yeah. the way it looks maybe on, on paper. But the, the 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 stats speak a different game. I don't know whether or not it's just because he looks a bit like a giraffe or like a gazelle. Like, you know, he's a bit awkward. He looks a bit, but he is, he quietly, and maybe he took, there was a moment from the, the Newcastle game away where he got heated and he went in for a rash challenge and he got a yellow card for it. Maybe he took a little bit of that personally during this game because for me, he was unplayable. And he was a, he was exactly the reason why we did so well. And I mean, he's not the sole reason, but obviously scoring, unlocking runs, winning the ball back. He was even, like I say, the interceptions are coming back into the defensive role that he's been playing more commonly in that left eight compared to the false nine. Just was everywhere. And I think the freedom that Arteta's allowed him in his tenure at Arsenal has been quite powerful to me. Yeah. Like that, that for me is he basically must tell him to go out there and have fun and play football. I've got roles for you, and these are the things I want you to do, but be free with it and be creative with it. And he's finding a real niche for himself. It's just interesting, maybe, that the injury to Gabby Jesus has maybe unlocked this somewhat. And I'd be interested to kind of see exactly what happens when, because we, we are currently not missing Zinchenko or Jesus, who would have been the biggest pro proponents to how we play football. Zinchenko dropping into that defensive midfielder to unlock the, the forward thinking and Jesus to play his game where he can win the ball, be a terrier, run about the pitch. We are not missing either of those two things right now. And yeah. it's whether or not, when they, well, Jesus is fit now, Zinchenko's on the cusp. Would they come back in? I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to take away from the fact that those two things have maybe enabled a better Kai Havertz. And, and I just want to say that this was just an, a top, top performance by him. Completely agree. Um, this is one thing that bugs me. He was It was an awesome performance from him. I, I especially noted down, like, the ability to win the ball back especially in that kind of like left side of the pitch in the final third. There's a lot of ball recovery. As soon as Newcastle kind of gave it, like gave it away or lost it, like he'd be there, he'd be on them. He had the ball. Um, and then we're building up that attack in that, in that third attacking spot again. I was just really frustrated. He didn't get a second goal at the beginning of the first half. That was right mm -hmm. in front of me. And I just like, how did you miss that? <laughs> and that's the only part. That's the only criticism I have of Havertz in the moment is there's some obvious chances he, he, he doesn't always score. Yeah, the only his decision that, making, his decision making in the moment can be, and we've seen it previously, right? Abamyang had it as well, though, right? You remember Abamyang wouldn't always miss some sitters like that too. Oh, there was there was one from him that was like towards the latter half one of the season where we needed to come fourth, and he was basically, I think it was maybe in the Europa League final kick of the game, and he basically should have scored an absolute sitter, and he spooned it. Yeah. But the run, Ugh. the run, the run for Talk that chance. Start issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that run for that chance, though, right? To create that opportunity uh, for, for, for that chance when Habits was brilliant. You know, 
that's exactly where 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 he is. He, he, there's a few times he's gone through and goal like that and scored. I, I, as soon as he went through on goal, I expected him to score. I was questioning whether it was offside or not, but the ref didn't put his flag up and then it no. went for a goal kick. And I was like, oh, clearly it wasn't offside then. So even if yeah. it went to VAR, it would have been on. He was just on. Yeah. Disappointing because oh. that, that reminds me of um uh who was it in the last game of Liverpool where Saka got the the rebound basically that should have scored? Was that Nelly? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but we won the game, so it doesn't matter. Next bit is uh, unless you want to go on, Jess, you got something else? No, no, go for it. No, I want to go talk about. I mean, we've we've talked about Gabriel a bit. We've talked about Sliver, but there's we we do currently have the, the best defense in the league. You know, 2024, we have the most clean sheets, fewest shots faced, fewest goals conceded, fewest shots on target conceded. There's no stat that doesn't show Arsenal as the the best defense in this league. Are we are we the best defense in the world? There's one player I think that you want to talk about right in our defense that maybe hasn't got any. Any plaudits as of yet? Yeah, I mean, your first question, best defensive league question mark. Uh, yeah, stats prove it. So, and there's no question about that in the moment. Um, I wanted to give a little bit of plaudits to Kivior. He has to come in and fill in for Zinchenko. We're so much more defensively solid with Zinchenko. I'm sorry, with Kivior. Um, to the point where I'm happy for him to continue right now. I was worried at first. I think we were criticizing him. Mm. There's some simple errors. You know, I think he played against Luton and didn't play great. And there's a few games uh, where we saw sloppiness and we were saying maybe, you know, if you haven't made it now, we'd probably loan spell or go back to Italy. But I have to eat eat my words and, and say I was wrong. He's been con- so consistent the last four games. Um, so consistent. And uh, he's been solid. He hasn't necessarily inverted so much, but then Ben White has been inverting instead. Um, he's been doing, I've seen him a lot last night, catching him more in the inverted position, and that's really helped us. So just real plaudits to Kivior for, for being consistent and solid and not being that defensive vulnerability that I thought he was going to be. Um, I mean, Zinni obviously has defensive vulnerabilities anyway. And so I don't feel like we're missing anything is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say, with Zinchenko out of the team. It'd be interesting to see when Timber comes back, whether there's something additional that we gain from that. We don't with Kivior and Zinchenko. Um, but in the moment, solid performance, best defence in the league, and, and I think he deserves a few plaudits for his performances recently. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if we can get Timber and Tommy back then, which are, you know, hopefully they're not too far away. It's um, it, it's great for the the running again to the end of the season. Well, this is what I I wonder. Like, and you've mentioned it there. Um, do we? Before we might have been worried that we needed them. You need them to come back because we can't rely on these other people to do it. At the moment, we're not in that. You know, obviously, we're on a good run at the moment, a good run of form, good run of results. We got a lot of that return. So it's only good news, of course. But you. Some of that can also disrupt the system a little bit. Some of that I kind of feel that's what I'm saying with Zinchenko and Jesus in particular. Would you, you know, usually we would throw them straight back in. I'm not too sure that's that's what we should be doing at this point in time. I think that we, the only changes we make really are like Trossard and Havertz and Jorginho in and out. Maybe if party becomes fit, he comes back into the fold a bit. But that kind of midfield attacking bit which also maybe has an impact mm-hmm. on when Martinelli plays as well that's the that's where the decisions are back four if they're performing keep them as they are don't change them um the same with the wingers they're not going to change it's more that middle into the attacking third where where yeah. you make changes and that's because from a running perspective those are the most intense um demanding positions demanding positions and and with the running you're going to need to be able to replenish players through there so having Trossard start at times having Habert starts times having Rice start in certain different positions across the pitch bringing Georgie in to cover Rice maybe a party gets back fit maybe he can come in and sit in the in the back occasionally he'll come off the bench that's the kind of changes that we need um and there that's it I wouldn't change much else in the moment I mean, unless Timbers drop in solid performances in training once he's back fit, 
that suggest that we need to give him a run out. I wouldn't change it. I mean, of course, we have to have... The only problem we've got at the moment is if one of those back four gets injured, who's coming on? There's one defender on the bench yesterday. You know his name. We all love him. Not. Um, Cedric was the only defender on the bench. So we do need these guys back. <laughs> Desperately. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be wrong. All right. Um, I wanted to the the parking lot for us. We 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 talked about this previously. I want to talk a little bit about the run in. So I've got. I'm going to add this to the screen right now. Um, for those on uh, audio version, we've got the the fixture run in for Liverpool, for Man City, and for Arsenal coming up in the last twelve games or so of the season. There's two points in it at the moment with Liverpool at the top and two points separating both Man City and now Arsenal, all on the same games played. I suppose to you, Jace, looking at what's on the screen right now, looking at this running, what what does it tell you? What do, what do you think you read from what's in front of you? City have got it hardest, I think. Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United, Villa. I mean, that's the top five they've got to play. Yeah. Yep. We've got Spurs as well. And uh, I Spurs was the latter end of the season of which they very rarely beat Spurs. So the test really, I, I think the proof in the pudding on who wins the league comes in the next five games. On for Man City's perspective, the next five to six games determine whether they win the league. Here's my reasoning. After April 3rd, they have Palace, Luton, Forest, Wolves and Fulham. And you chuck Spurs in away, which is always hard for them. But those are five, you know, they could win at Spurs. Those are six winnable games. But the next five games, Villa, uh, Man United home, Liverpool away, Brighton away, Arsenal home, Aston Villa home. Those are the get that. Like, if they win those, then I do fear that they're just on a run to the title as they always are. Um, and I, I feel at the moment they've just been getting by, like getting these 1-0 wins, which have been painfully annoying. I didn't see the City game yesterday. I've not seen any of the goals as well. So I was going into the ground. But when we were walking around the ground, we heard this massive like shout, uh, shout and scream of applause and excitement. And we assumed that Bournemouth had equalised. But when I went and looked at the score at the end of the game on the TV and I got on the ground, I saw that they were celebrating a 1-0 win. So I don't know if they had a goal just allowed or... I mean, Bournemouth, I did watch the end. Bournemouth were really, really good. Um, and that's what my my only thought is that at Man City, although they've been dropping wins, they've not been good. They've not been playing great. Um, yeah. And they, they are susceptible to conceding as well. So I'm I like I agree with you right now. Their next five will be the tell. If they can win those five, I think it's theirs to win. Um, if they don't, you know that Man United is a bit of an anomaly, but I, I do feel that Liverpool, Brighton, Arsenal, Villa in quick succession amongst Champions League games as well is potentially problematic. Yeah. So I that's I, I genuinely think that's the thing for City. For us. It has to just be about continuous intensity and consistency because let's look at our fixtures. So Sheffield United, Brentford, we need to win those. Can't drop any points there. Then Chelsea at home. Again, based on the Chelsea that we see today, no excuses not to win that game. Man City away, okay, don't know what that's going to look like. Luton home should win. Brighton away, that can be a hard game for us, but we should win. Villa at home, that's going to be more difficult than it used to be. But I'd still expect us to do something at home against Villa. Um, Wolves away should win. Spurs away, oh, that's got to have a question mark about it. It's never going to be easy. It's a derby. Bournemouth home should win. Man United away, last game of the season. Is that right? Last of so Everton at home, last game of the season. But So it's the oh, um, penultimate screen. game for us. And this is where... For me, our season, I think, hangs on. Whereas Man City's maybe hangs on their initial five fixtures. I think ours hangs on the last five fixtures, or at least the last six. Villa at home, Spurs away, Man United away. Those yeah. three games, particularly the last two away games, is going to be where, is, is the test of our metal. We, we are not good at Old Trafford. It's been a long time since we've dug out 
a decent result, a decent game at Old Trafford, even when Man United are at their most banterous, mm. hasn't been great. So I'm there's a, there's a bit because I, I I do feel that Liverpool's you know Liverpool do have West Ham away, Spurs at home, Villa away, Wolves away. That's also quite difficult. There's a lot of difficult fixtures for all of us, but it could all be over by the fact that Man City could tear it in those six games now and be in great position. That's if they think we're going to do it. I mean, they're not playing amazing. I just think they get just about getting by. I don't yeah. think... Is De Bruyne at the level he was? Genuine question. So De Bruyne, no, but he also hasn't been playing. He came on for six minutes yesterday and got a yellow card. He he doesn't... like. It kind of feels like he's being wrapped in cotton wool a little bit. I'll roll him out when I need to roll him out. If we're in a 10 nil nil at 60 minutes, I'll bring him on and watch him do yeah. his thing. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I, I think Man City uh, are going to need to buy some players to replace some old guys at the end of the season, and um, and they need to. They're going to slowly have to go through a little bit of a transformation. Um, yeah, it, it, it comes down to City's next five games. If they win all of those, then yeah, there's the, the title is theirs to lose. Um, if they don't win those, ends up for grabs. Arsenal just have to be consistent because we don't have like a real hard period of like four or five games where we're playing like City, Villa, Spurs or United in the, on the row. We have all of those teams to play, but interspersed with easier games, you would argue, which just means that we have to just be prolonged consistency now to the end of the season. Um Whereas you could argue with City, if they come through their real hard period of five games, they then got five or six easy games to the end of the season where they could play how they were playing against Bournemouth, right, and get a 1-0 and still win. Um, so it's just a different setup. Uh, and Liverpool's probably similar to us, right? They've got to be pretty consistent to the end of the season too. Yeah. Well, I think that there's no room for slippage on anybody's part at this moment in time. And any any drop points will, will swap that top three. At any juncture, so it's you know, it's gonna be tight. Yeah. I have I have one fear for us really with this run in, which is when it comes to the attacking threat, we're kind of reliant on the same four players: Habits, Martinelli, Saka, and Trossard. Jesus for me has just been a bit invisible at times all season. I don't think he's, you know, he's not got an amazing amount of goals and. He's not been on his... It wasn't the Jesus we saw at the beginning of last season. And yesterday, I know Jesus and Vieira are on the bench, but they were only just coming back from an injury. They weren't going to get on. They were just on the bench for the sake of it, I guess. Um, so we brought on yesterday Emil, Reese, and Eddie. Now, the game against Newcastle was done at 4-0 when these guys came on. But I... We want them to do well because they're all academy hairline boys. But at the same time, when you're Liverpool in this title run and you're bringing on Diaz or Gapo or Jota, it's just a different level of threat. And I, I unfortunately don't see in the harder games that we're going to have. And let's be honest, they're going to be harder games. We're not going to be winning 5-4 and 6-0 to the end of the season. Um, Be good if we could, though. <laughs> if, we, if we do, then great, and I'll shut up. But I, I, I believe that they're going to be harder games, and there's going to be games when we need to change the front three and need to bring on that level of energy and sharpness and creativity. And you can't bring Reese Nelson on for Saka at that point. Um, it, it's just not like for like. Uh, the same, I mean, you can probably bring Leo on for Martinelli, but you can't bring, you can't, I, I don't think there's anyone really replacing the kind of habit that habits has causing down the middle right now. Yeah. Gabri Hayes, if he can get back to fitness maybe, but like Eddie is not the same level. Smith Rowe, I feel bad because for me, Smith Rowe does great when he's given prolonged time in the team. Genuinely good when he's given prolonged time in the team but he's never going to get that starting position to prove himself. So you're never going to see that prolonged time in the team performance for him to... But the way we're playing at the moment, he's not getting a sniff. No. Nah. Like, where I you know, he, I remember the games a couple of years ago when he was fit and he and Saka him were fit and they played 
they were always in the starting lineup. And um and we saw the best Emil since he's come back from injury. He's been reliant on minutes, few, a bit a few minutes here and there to try and get him slowly back up to speed. But the only way he actually becomes the Emil, I believe, that we used to see before is with getting starts and having time on the field to do his thing. Being brought on for 20 minutes here against Newcastle when we're 4-0 up and the game's done, he's not adding anything. He had one opportunity yesterday. In my opinion, he made the wrong decision. He tried to pass it into the goal, um, into the corner, um, whereas I would have just smashed it. It's great in retrospect to say what I would have done, but I just feel he didn't put enough pace. He was trying to be too acute with his finish. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, he he's not sharp enough. And I, I think at this time of the season, I love him. I'd love him to be successful in Arsenal shirt, but I think it's done. And um, because we can't have someone who's not sharp coming off the bench in the running. We're a different team now. We're a very different place to two, three years ago when, when he was in our lineup. Well, Arteta, if you're listening and you need a, a bench option, uh, Jace is available for a, a small fee. Hey, I'm not saying I'm any better. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, uh, it's been an hour. Uh, it's, it feels like it's been a long time. Boys are back in town. I'm really happy that we, we've got another pod under our belt. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been incredible. Jace, they're on the YouTube, they're on Spotify. What do we want our audience to kind of get involved with? Uh, get involved in the YouTube, leave likes, subscribe, leave comments, leave questions. If you're on the Spotify or the Apple podcast, then smash that five-star review button, write a review. Only good ones. Our scrubs coming around your house. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, though. Cheers, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers, guys. Get out of my-